but uh, I'm just so honored to be back here. And I have a word for you today. My wife sends her greetings and uh, got two girls that are growing up way too fast. We just took a picture. It's my family. I'll give you an update. Every time I come, I try to give you an update. So uh, my 15-year-old my Kenzie and Chloe is now eight. And that was in Hawaii. I was on a ministry trip there uh, a couple months ago. We just finished eating at our favorite restaurant in Hawaii, uh, Costco. <laughs> and uh, it's getting expensive nowadays, people. California right now, the only place uh, you can get gas under $5 is Taco Bell. It's just crazy. It's like uh, we're in a crazy window of time right now, so it's a tough crowd. Um, but I'm excited to be back with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I've been really enjoying the series you guys have been in on joy. Uh, I listened to Pastor uh, John's first installment. I thought it was brilliant. I love what he said when he said, you're either going to let the quality of your life determine your joy, or he said, you're going to let your joy determine the quality of your life. That's good preaching right there. That preaches good in any church. Come on, if I can't get a Pentecostal amen, give Pastor John an amen. Come on, give him a head nod, give him a Baptist Presbyterian eyebrow race, Catholic deep breath. Come on, something. But, uh, that was good preaching. I listened to Pastor Dustin's message on joy. It's so encouraging. One of my favorite lines that he used in his message was he says, no storm in history has lasted forever. And someone in here today, you're going through a storm, but I got good news for you. Every storm has an expiration date. Anybody grateful for that? I think every family should have a, a CSO, a chief smell officer. And that's, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever had uh, uh, milk in your refrigerator and when I was a kid, we didn't have expiration dates on everything. You used to have family members that had a good nose. Can I get an amen? You ever spent 20 minutes looking for their expiration date on something? They put it in some weird, mysterious location. But I just want you to know that every storm has an expiration date. And God's going to get some of you out of the storm. If I could, I want to prophesy from the very beginning of this service. The storm is over for someone today. This is the end of the rain. This will be the last day. This will be the last moment of your life that you were close to getting divorced. This is the last, this is the closest you will ever get to bankruptcy again the rest of your life. I believe this is the beginning of blue skies. If you believe it, say amen. Someone in here, you have some sort of issue with your pancreas and God's going to heal you today. Someone has pancreatic cancer and God's going to heal you today. And I just believe this is a day of good news, of miracles, signs and wonders. If you believe it, shout a good amen. Fired up today. We're going to get after it this morning, and uh, just so honored to be back with you, and I want to honor uh, Casey and Pastor Brent, doing a great job pastoring this campus, and just so impressed by the, the quality. You know what God wants to do by how many leaders he litters a church with, and this church is literally riddled with great leadership everywhere. At every level of this church, from the nursery to the, to, the, to the academy, all the way through, I just feel like this church is full of healthy leaders. And everyone said a good amen. Well, hey, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want to open up to Psalms chapter 1. I know a familiar passage. Many of you have it memorized. Uh, but I, I, I would uh, warn you today as a pastor to never read God's word full, never read God's word smart. Always read it empty. Always read it hungry. Always read it like you're stupid. I think many people stop learning from God because they read it thinking they have God figured out. That's a big mistake. You always want to come to God's word with a hungry heart. It says, blessed are those who hunger and for thirst for what's right. And so today we're going to hunger and thirst. If you believe it, say a good amen. amen. But man, I'm excited to be here. Who loves Cameron and Spencer? Love these guys so much. It's his birthday tomorrow. He informed me he's going to be 34 years old. He said, Pastor Mark, what do you want to buy me? And I was like, uh, 
I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. Uh, like, how rude. Uh, no, I'm gonna be, I'll get you something, Cameron. Um, but I'm so excited to be back. Uh, Psalms chapter 1. If you're brand new today, uh, I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's pretty quick. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the idea that I think joy is found when we live our lives by the water. Psalms chapter 1 is a beautiful chapter. It's a wisdom chapter. It was written by King David, who incidentally didn't just write one chapter. He wrote 73 psalms in the book of Psalms out of 150. And uh, this is one of my favorite chapters that he penned. Very simple, very powerful. And basically, he says, if you will actually value what God values, if you will esteem what God esteems, he makes a promise that you'll be like a tree planted by the waters. And I have good news today for you. It's not a bad news message. I've never met anybody that wanted more God by hearing bad news. I've met a lot of people that have surrendered their lives to Jesus because of the good news. And today, I want to give you some good news that you can be like a tree planted by the waters. Some of you might already be planted by the waters, and I want to just refresh you today. I believe God wants to encourage you today. There's someone in here you've been serving God for like seven decades. And I really feel like God wants to give you good news today. It says even in our older age, God wants to give us fruit. And this is going to be a fruitful week, a fruitful season. And it's going to be a good day. And everyone said a good amen. All right. Well, got your Bibles today. Psalms chapter 1. I love this uh, chapter. It says David writes off by saying blessed. Say it with me, blessed. blessed. It's a big word. It's actually the Hebrew word asher. It's one of the names of, of Israel's sons. Asher, blessed, happy is another translation. Happy, joyous, blessedness, it says. That's what the word blessed means. Is the man, is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinful sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but is delight. Say it with me, delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree. Big, big word there. Say it with me real loud. Tree. tree. He'll be like a tree. Why? Because he'll be planted by the rivers of water. He'll bring forth its fruit in due season, whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever. I love this promise. Whatever. Say it with me. Whatever. Who wants God to tell you that whatever you do will prosper? Whatever he does shall prosper. And he goes on, he says, but the ungodly, they're not like that. They're like chaff which the wind drives away. That's what they're like. He says that, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I know this series is on joy. I know joy is not uh, connected to happenings. I know that Happiness is connected to what's happening. You win the lottery, introverts become extroverts. Come on. Mild people become wild people. If something happens good enough, it will affect your emotional state. But I also do believe that joy will impact your emotions as well. Some people say, I don't like church. It's just emotionalism. You just, you just feel the emotions. It's like, well, who gave you the emotions? Then you shouldn't like football. You just feel emotions. You shouldn't like watching your favorite TV show. You feel emotions. It's like God gave you those emotions, Joker. You should let God use them to impact you. As long as the emotion is rooted in a truth. That's the difference between emotionalism and spirituality. When what you believe is attached to some fact, a truth, meaning this, that you can be moved by an emotional condition, that your team wins the Super Bowl, and the good news is, is the emotion is tied to an event. 
that when the emotion is gone, the reality is the same. My team won. And our emotion is rooted in a victory as well. Is that we serve a God out of 4,100 religions on the world. Only have one empty grave. I got news for you that Jesus isn't like everybody else. How do you know? Because there was over 10,000 people that were crucified in the ancient world, and we know none of their names before Jesus. Jesus didn't get off the cross. We never would have known his name. So today, I got good news to preach. I'm getting fired up up already. But uh, we're going to get after it. Everyone said a good amen. But I want to pray this morning, and I want to talk to you about living our lives with this joy, with this water by the rivers, by the water. Father, we love you. We thank you for church 1132. We thank you for, Lord, a great, a prosperous, a victorious, a a faith-filled community that's after you with all their heart. I thank you that it says that you promised blessed, happy Asher is the man who hungers, a person that thirsts for the things that God declares is right. You said that we will be filled. So I pray today, whether we're in Frisco, Wiley, or we're here in Allen, Lord, I pray you would fill us up. Meet the non-believer. God, I pray that you would convince the skeptic. I pray that you would heal the sick, deliver the addict, and do what only you can do. We ask you to populate eternity today. In Jesus' name, meet us here and help the cowboys and all God's people said a good. Lost some momentum there at the end. We're going to keep praying for Pastor Dustin. He still loves the Seahawks. And we're going to keep praying for, uh, praying for the Cowboys. But I was thinking about, uh, I, I lived in Idaho for, as I mentioned, 17 years. A lot of differences, as you can guess, moving from Boise, Idaho to uh, Orange County, California. I like to say that Orange County is full of the ugliest multi-million dollar houses in America. You want an ugly house and spend a million dollars for it, move to Orange County. Idaho has a lot of differences, though. Uh, people ask, what do you love about California? And one of my favorite things that kind of surprises people when they say, what do you like that Idaho didn't have that California does have? And one of my first responses is artificial turf. <laughs> surprises people. I had a yard for about 17 years. Cutting grass is a young man's game. Can I get a witness? I, I didn't like cutting grass. I'm allergic to grass, to be honest with you. And the problem is, is I married a perfectionist, and my wife, she likes everything decently and in order, including our yard. And I'm not a green thumb by any stretch. I am not a mechanic. I've been electrocuted by things that do not have power. Come on. And so I am not, I'm not, I'm not mechanical. I'm not outdoorsy. I'm indoorsy. Come on. I'm indoors. And so I, I'm not a big yard guy. And I don't, I, I'll just be honest. We shared a car. First four years of our marriage, we shared one vehicle. We worked at the same place called the church. And so uh, it worked out good. Didn't matter how good our day was. I knew in the summertime around, uh, I'd say beginning of summer, before they turned the irrigation water on and our yard was like Lazarus, <laughs> completely dead. I knew it didn't matter how good the day was that the moment we turned onto our street, I was getting ready to brace myself for a bad negative jab comment of my wife complaining that my yard is not green enough. God positioned us strategically next to all these retired people. They were like grass models sponsored by Architectural Digest. And my wife was like, why can't our grass be like their grass? I'm like, they're retired. They're out there chopping grass with scissors. And I'm like, we don't have any money, okay? And I don't know how to evict the spirit of crab grass. It is a spirit. It's a satanic entity. It's part of the fall of, he- fall of man. And I remember, man, every year the irrigation water wouldn't be turned on. And 
Wouldn't you know it, I have to call True Green or one of those companies that, you know, charges a lot of money. And I would call him up, and I remember the guy would always come, three years in a row it happened, he would come out, our grass would be yellow, and he'd come out, and I'd be like, man, so how bad is it, Doc? You know, like, what do we have to do? And uh, I'm like, do we have to, like, pull it up and resod the ground and get new seeds and re-turf? And he says, no, 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 no. He's like, no, no, no. It, it looks dead. But you'd be shocked that the moment you put some water on it, he says, start watering it, it'll come back. He says, I remember saying, just water it for a week or so, a week or two, it's going to come back. And I remember every year I was so surprised because it was so dead looking. You walk on it, it was just like this dead substance. But after a week or two, it, it started to green up again. And I just, when I was praying, you know, this week, and I was asking the Lord what woman to preach here at this church, I felt like the Lord brought me back to that story. And I just, I heard the voice of God saying, there's people that'll be in the service in Dallas that feel like there's no life left in some area of their life. You would declare that the marriage is dead. Maybe it's time to find a new spouse, a new job, a new house, a new church. And I feel like the Lord says, you don't need to go somewhere else. You just got to water what you have. You actually got to get your life positioned by the water. I love that he promises. David, one of the wisest men to ever live, raised the, the wisest young man that the earth has ever seen outside of Jesus. And Solomon says that I was tender and the only one in the sight of my father when he began to give me wisdom. He said, son, my son, treasure my commands. Value what I would share with you. We always credit Solomon for being the wisest man to live in history, but it was actually his dad and God that gave him the wisdom. And David says, blessed is the man. One of the wisest chapters in the Bible, blessed is the man who avoids three things and does one thing. If he does that, he will develop into something. And I believe this morning that joy is attached to the men and women that will honor what Psalms chapter 1 says. It reminds me much of Deuteronomy chapter 30 that God puts before every human being life and death. We choose. I heard it once said that God chooses what we go through. We choose how we go through it. God will always give you enough light to believe but enough, enough uh, a shade to doubt. And it's in the heart of every human being to determine if God is good or he's not good. To choose if they want him or don't want him. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But I'm telling you today, that to those that are hungry, God will answer their request. See, there's always been two men. There's always been two paths. There's been the path of, of Cain and Abel. The first Adam and the last Adam. The Ishmael, the Isaac. The Saul, the David. The Esau, the Jacob. The Christ, the Antichrist. Two men, two ways, two destinies. Life is really boiled down to two lifestyles. Faithful or unfaithful. It doesn't say when we stand before the throne that God's going to say, hey, well thought, well theorized. Well contemplated, well, well managed. He says, no, 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 well done. Good and really, humanity's not boiled down to rich people and poor people, smart people or non-smart people. It's boiled down to sons and daughters that are either faithful or they're not. And I was thinking of this wisdom chapter. It's a favor chapter. He says, wisdom and favor land on those who love what God loves, values what God values. And he says, also is true, those who rebel or oppose that. I believe that blessed, say it with me, blessed. Asher, the name of one of Jacob's sons, happy. Oh, the happiness. Oh, the joy. Oh, the blessedness of those that dodge three things. I call them the donuts, the do-nots. 
Who likes a good donut? Come on, somebody right now. I love Krispy Kreme. Come on. The donuts of Psalms chapter 1 is he says there's three donuts, do nots. There's one do. And see, it's interesting that counsel, if we're following the wrong counsel, you'll stand in the wrong way. And if you stand in the wrong way, you'll finally end up sitting with the wrong crowd. And I think right now we're living in a very, very, I'd say similar day and age to Babylon. We're calling bad things good. We're calling good things bad. You know that a society begins to lose its way when what's universally condemned is now celebrated. What's universally celebrated is now condemned. And if you don't go along with the ride uh, and you refuse to celebrate, you are condemned. We live in a cancel culture that if you don't go along with what's tolerated, the gospel of tolerance. I'll tell you what the gospel of tolerance is. It's when intelligent people act like morons to not offend people that really are crazy. We're living in a day and age that we're celebrating crazy things. We have a society that's confused. We're, we're mourning miscarriages but celebrating abortions. We have in the 40s men that actually lied about their age to fight in wars to save the world. And in the, in, the, in the 20s, the 2020s, we have men lying about their gender to compete against the other sex. We're living in an age that's calling dark light and light dark. Are you hearing me today? And based upon the response of this crowd, I can tell you that we are culturally scared to say, no, God does have a standard. God does have a way. If darkness exists, so does light. If evil is real, so is righteousness. Someone say, Mark, why does good things happen to bad people? The fact that, that you would declare something as bad tells you that someone wired you with a conscience. If you were just some wild animal, some, some evolution of an a, a ape or a monkey, you wouldn't have a conscience that declares hurting kids as evil and doing something brave as good. Someone wired us. Someone programmed us. Someone made us in the image of God. Things don't evaluate or evolve from bad to good. If I park my car in the desert for 2,000 years, I'm not going to come back and see it turn into an airplane. Things don't evolve into righteousness. And I'm just telling you today, I feel this fire inside of my bones that we're living in a day like Daniel, like, like my shack, your shack, in a bungalow. Come on. It's like Babylon. That literally we are in a world, and this is what worldliness does. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. You go to church more than once a week? You give money to the church? You actually are, you, you, you volunteer your time? You have a full time? You lead a small group? You're crazy. What are you doing? You gave your kitchen renovation budget to actually funding the dreams. What are you? You're crazy. Why are you doing what you're doing? And I'm just telling you right now that the people of our world are like the sons of Eli, taking what's sacred and making it secular, making it profane. And I love David because he comes on the scene. He goes, look, you want to be blessed? You want everything that you do to prosper? There's three things you got to be willfully aware of that you're going to avoid. Three things. Number one, he says, I want you to do not. Watch this. He says, I want you, number one, to be very, very, very cognitive, very, very aware of who you are, number one, who you are walking with. The counsel, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Daniel, his life message was he was uncompromisingly righteous. He was in the same category as Job and Noah. According to the Bible, that brag was a righteous man. Daniel had no dirt on his life. He introduced Gabriel and Michael. He actually influenced four kings. His entire ministry was in the captivity of Babylon. 
imagine, he didn't live in a revival necessarily. He lived in a dark empire with a dark king. Somehow, some way, even in his 80s, thrown into a lion's den. This guy is bad to the bone. He's taken from Israel in his teens. And when he gets into Babylon, when everybody's trying to brainwash him with the language and brainwash him with the music and brainwash him with the names, and they renamed him. And listen to me, don't ever let anybody that doesn't love you name you. He's like, look, I know who my real name is. I haven't forgotten who I was in Israel. And I'm telling you right now that these these four Jewish boys impacted the most powerful nation on the earth that was wicked because they understood that I am not going to walk. Listen, I might be in Babylon, but I'm not of Babylon. They were living in the revival fumes of Hezekiah. They knew what revival looked like. They knew that I could be in a dark world but have light inside of me. They knew that I don't have to bow to everything that culture says is celebrated. I'm not going to tolerate what God does not tolerate. I'm going to love what God loves. I'm going to hate what God hates. Can I get a good amen? And we're living in such a shy, timid, I don't want to offend anybody. You want to make everybody mad? Try to offend everybody. Or try not to, try to make everybody happy. You'll make everybody mad. You got to figure out who's God asking you to be, what's God asking you to do, and where are you supposed to stand? He says, watch this. I want you to be aware of what counsel that's ungodly that you stay away from. I believe we're living in a day and age that, man, most people get their worldview from Joe Rogan, not Jesus. Most people are getting their worldview from CNN, Fox News, not the scriptures. Don't let people that don't know God shape your view of life. It's going to get quiet up in the Presbyterian church, but I'm going to preach you how I feel it today. I believe this is a big deal. We know that, that Peter made some big mistakes when he stood with the enemy. John 18 says that he tried to follow Jesus at a distance. And when he followed at a distance, he ended up by a fire, by a, by a fire barrel. And at this dumpster fire, he denies Jesus in front of a little girl that recognized his accent. You see, I believe every one of us have an accent. Your accent is actually determined by what you sound like. You can tell when someone's from the South. You can tell when someone's from the East. You can tell when someone's from New York. You know, they just have the attitude, I'm better than you, right? It's a joke, it's a joke. It's amazing that accents give you away. And I believe every Christian should have an accent. There, be, there should be something about the way you talk that like that girl at the dumpster fire, she said, I can tell you're one of them. You speak like those Galileans. You speak like one of those people that have been around Jesus. I believe that your voice will either have doubt, darkness, or faith inside of it. The world is hungry for people that have the word of God in their mouth. It's interesting that he stood with the enemy, he sat with them, and before long, he stood and he sat and then he denied. He stood, he sat, and then he denied. And I believe if we're not intentional, we'll start with Jesus and end up with Judas. If we don't intentionally go, I'm not going to stand in ungodly counsel, I'm not going to sit with scornful, negative, cynical, critical Christians... And I'm not going to let my worldview be shaped by people that don't know the God that made the world. It's a big deal. He says, walk not in ungodly counsel. You know what ungodly counsel is? Here's the definition of it. Are those that willfully and persistently do what's wrong. We all do stupid things sometimes. We all do. And if you don't say yes to that, you just did something stupid right there. You got to be honest in church. But to do it persistently, to do it willfully, Oftentimes in our culture, we say, no, I don't really have a, I don't have any vices. I just have a struggle. Bro, you've been in bondage for 20 years. That's not a struggle. That's bondage. 
But sometimes we don't get free because we don't call things what God calls them. So here's what we got to understand. Okay, ungodly counsel is those that willfully and persistently do what's wrong. We got to make sure that we don't walk in that type of ungodly counsel. Number two, second do not, is he says this, I don't want you to stand. David said, don't stand. You want to be blessed? You want to be joy-filled? You want to be full of life? You want your descendants to be blessed after you? Blessed are those. Blessed are those who do not go into ungodly counsel or don't stand in sinners' paths. That just means those that miss the mark and don't care. We're all sinful. The difference between a sinful way, when he talks about this, don't stand in the path of sinners. Sinners was the idea, not people that miss the mark, but people that intentionally miss the mark and don't care. I don't care. And we have many people even in the church, they don't care. They think that Jesus died to put a grace band-aid or a grace diaper on them. Living their whole life saying it's easier to apologize than it is to ask for permission. And we're doing what we want, when we want, how we want. We got we want God to bless what we're doing. And it's like we live our entire adolescence. That's why Paul said to the church, he said in Hebrews, he said it in several other places in the scriptures, that he said you're still drinking milk when you should be on solid food. You're not maturing because you don't have Jesus as Lord in your life. You want him to be your Savior but not your Lord. When Jesus gives you enough of him to get to heaven but not enough of him to change your life, we'll live with diapers our whole life. And that's why the spiritual maturity is not gauged by how long you go to church. Some of you in this room have been a Christian for two years, and you're stronger in the Lord than people that have been walking with God for four decades. Maturity is not gauged by church attendance, by how long you've read the scriptures. It's actually not even based upon how many scriptures you have memorized. It's how many scriptures you've let God let you live out. It's all right to preach today in Texas a little bit. This guy's not going to make any friends today. I just want you to know, I think in America, we don't need more revelation. We actually need to just do more of what we already know. Problem is, we know more than we live. I know it's right and wrong. I know that in January, I should keep going to the gym. Somewhere along the way, they're like, nah, it's all right. At least I'm still walking with the Lord, you know? Thinking about this idea that we live in a day and age that that listens to ungodly counsel, that stands in sinful paths, that don't care. Or here's the worst, this is the worst category, you gotta really be careful. And we're living in a very, very, uh, I would say celebratory window of jadedness. We celebrate jaded people as creative or insightful. And if we're not careful, man, we'll let that irreverent spirit of Eli's sons come into the church. I'm not against laughing, man. I love laughing, I love jokes, I love comedians. But to be honest with you, most comedians nowadays are not funny. They're just so irreverent. They're so shock value inappropriate that you laugh, not because it's funny, but because human beings shouldn't say that. If we're not careful in the world that we live in today, we have people that have church hurt, blogging from their mom's basements. And I'm not against, I'm not saying that we don't have hurts, that we've been hurt in church. I'm saying this, we can't let what we've experienced keep us in bondage. We live in a day and age that we play the victim Olympics of who's actually been the, most, the biggest victim of travesty. And God doesn't say he celebrates the victims. He celebrates the victors. You read Revelations, he says, blessed are those that overcome. I want to remind you that he's not rewarding those that are undercome but are overcome. You're an overcomer. God made him who knew no sin become sin for you and me that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
God pulled us out of darkness, out of the miry clay, set our feet on the path that we would lead and not follow, be the head and not the tail, to be above and not beneath. And we have too many people that find their identity in victimhood. I don't want to be a victim. I want to be a victor. You can make changes or you can make complaints, but you can't do both. And I think it's very, very important that he says, look, you want to be screwed up? You want to go off track? You want to be like chaff, which the wind drives away? Then sit in the seat of a negative, cynical, critical, jaded, scorn-filled person. You know what scornful means? It means to make fun of God's ways, to make fun of God's laws, and ridicule what's sacred. I love comedy, but a lot of the guys my age and younger that are these big TikTok comedians that make their living off criticizing Christianity, criticizing the church, making fun of the funny things in our world. I'm like, look, there's a fine line between what's funny but what's irreverent. And he might make a good living on this side of eternity, but I don't think God's going to award anybody that makes fun of his wife. I've never given anybody money that's talked bad about my wife. I've never celebrated someone that criticized my bride. Hey, Mark, I love you, but Rochelle is stupid. I would never. Come on, somebody. We're making these not documentaries. They're mockumentaries. And we let unhealthy people, cynical people, shape our attitude about God's church. Don't ever, don't ever let unhealthy people set the, the value system of what you love in God's church. That's good preaching today, man. I feel something in here. It's a big deal, though. We got to make sure that we don't let these scornful people squander the sacred. I don't want to laugh at holy things. I don't want to do the opposite of what God says and be entertained by the people that are actually living on a lower level. Can I get an amen? It's a big deal. Don't, don't mistake God's patience with God's approval. You'll find people in the world that talk bad about Christians, criticize leaders, throw rocks, the things of God, and they're living, they're living large. They have nice houses, nice cars, nice this, nice that. But what, what happens is, is we mistake God's long-suffering with God's approval. Just because someone looks like they're getting ahead and they're doing the wrong things doesn't mean that God is in the wrong things. It's good preaching today. So three don'ts. The donuts are like, don't stand in ungodly counsel. Don't walk in that. Don't stand with a sinful, willful, wrong mentality. And don't sit. Don't let the, the jaded people of your life set your attitude towards the things of God. So if you avoid that, step one. Step two, you want to be blessed? You want to be by the water? Delight. As blessed is the man who delights in his word. Meditating on it day and night. Meditating on it day and night. The idea in the Hebrew language of meditation is a dog gnawing on a bone. That's what we're supposed to do with the promises of God. One scholar said that most of your necessities are met by God in life because he's good. But the, but the promised land is only achieved when we press in with an appetite. We have to contend for everything that Jesus died to give us. I don't want some of what God died to give me. I want all of it. Anybody else in Texas want all of it? Nothing. The devil won't attack anything more than your time with God. He knows your strength comes from God. He knows your courage comes from God. He knows your wisdom comes from God. 
So if there's one area that he'll try to disrupt more than any other area is when you put on your calendar, spend time with Jesus before you spend time with anybody else. That will often become the time of your day that's attacked the most. But don't cave into that area. Christianity that's not supernatural will become superficial. And our supernatural power comes by being by the water. There's something about being in the presence that says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Being planted by God is actually being planted by the water. I would say if you lack joy, you lack the presence of God. It's in his presence that the fullness of joy is. Some of you have no joy because you don't value being in his presence. But if you will delight yourself in his law, meditating on it day and night, it's really awesome. You'll begin to take on the flavor of scripture. You'll begin to have an accent. It's called faith. You'll begin to have an accent. You, you sound like you really believe God. You really seem sincere about this faith in Jesus. When I told you that I was sick, you wanted to pray for me right away. I met a guy that's been going to church his whole life. And 18 months ago, he had a, a real encounter with God at our church. And he said, it's changed his whole life. He's never been around people that when someone says they're sick, they said, can I pray for you right now? He's like, how foreign that they believe that God would invite that space and invade that space instantly. I always hear Christians say, I'll be praying for you. But where are the men and women that go, look, we're going we're to invite God into the present. He's here right now. doesn't say he's our present help, our non-present help in time of need. It says he's our present help. Faith is. Faith is. doesn't say faith was. doesn't say faith will be. Faith lives in the current tense. Faith is. It is now. It's here. It's believing not just that God will one day or God has someday. It's that believing that God will right now today. Faith is the substance. And many of you have no faith because you don't spend time gnawing on the promises of God. I was gnawing this morning on 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, on the gifts of the Spirit, the motivation of the gifts, how we use the gifts. You know what's awesome is God will give you what you hunger for. It's almost like going to buffet and God says you can have as much as you put on your plate. The problem with some of you is you have no appetite when it comes to the things of God. You're hungry for more entertainment, but it doesn't satisfy you. More movies doesn't satisfy you. More money doesn't satisfy you. The only thing that will bring joy that lasts is hungering for the things that you were made for. It says in Joshua 1.8 that if you'll meditate on it day and night, you'll be successful. Who wants to be successful? Trees in the Bible rep representative of kingdoms. Kingdoms, kingdoms and individuals. Balaam saw Israel as a garden, the prophet, by the river with trees in abundance. You know what's interesting about trees? God promises he'll be like a tree. Be like what? Trees, trees are alive. Friend, you're not supposed to be the walking dead. You're supposed to be alive. Some of you feel like a walking dead man. That I'm going through the motions, but I'm not excited. Some of you spend more of your time entertaining yourself to death, dreaming about fantasies, fantasizing about the lottery. God wants you to dream about the dreams of God, not about the fantasies of man. You're alive, but you're spiritually dead. It's time to come alive. Trees are alive. Trees are beautiful. Trees are fruitful. Trees are useful. Trees are enduring if they're planted. 
Some of you aren't enduring because you're not planted. Some of you in a different church every weekend. Some of you go to church for a year or two, get offended, find a different church to get offended at. Do home church for a year, two years, get burnt out on that, don't do anything for a year or two, then go back to church. And you wonder why your kids have no fruit. Your kids will take on the root system of where their parents are planted. It is the planting of parents that releases the destiny of their kids. And I'm just telling you right now that you want your kids to bear fruit. You yourself have to stay planted. Well, I got offended. We all do sometimes. That's why it says when you have an offense, do a couple things. Forgive. If it's serious, have a conversation. You know, it's amazing. I don't have to agree with my parents to stay in my family. Some of you are like, wow, that's a secret to me. I didn't know that. I've actually disagreed with my parents many times. I disagree with my brothers all the time. I've told you before that I have two brothers, John and Lucifer. And um, it's not his name. His name's Satan. And um, just kidding. But you don't have to agree with people to love them. That Bible I read says love covers a multitude of sins. You want to have less enemies? Pray for your enemies. This is the recipe of Jesus. If you want to stop hating people, pray for those you hate. And what will happen is God will give the way, the way that he sees them to your sight. And you'll begin to love people that you normally wouldn't love. Because when you pray for your enemies, you'll lose your enemies. My grandpa used to always say, love your enemies. You made them. No one else made your enemy. You did. That's why Jesus said, pray for your enemy. Bless those who talk bad about you. He says, in doing so, you'll heat coals of fire on their head. If your enemy's thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them something to out burger. That's the Greek. And... Uh, he says, in doing so, it's like putting coals of fire on their head. I don't know. This is totally different than last service. But I just feel like someone in the room needs to know this, that you're a tree. Trees need to be planted. They need to be rooted. They need to be watered and nourished. They need to abide. You know what's cool about trees? I'll wrap this up. Trees don't enjoy their own fruit. You know why most of our land is very, very depressed, have everything? We've, we've had more in our generation than any generation's ever had. More wealth, more affluence. Our kids have more toys, more cars, more technology, more phones. But we have more kids on antidepressants, more kids suicidal. We are living in one of the most... Uh, one of the strongest mental battles of any generation, and it's in our affluence. It's not in our poverty. And it's amazing to me that, that, that I think the reason why a lot of our problems is because we're trying to produce fruit for ourselves. And trees were never intended to produce fruit for themselves. Your fruit is produced for the enjoyment of somebody else. And when you live for you, you lose yourself. But when you live to produce fruit for somebody else, you find yourself. Jesus said, you want to find life? Lose it. You want to lose your life? Try to find yourself. A backpacking trip in Europe is not where you find you. Some Himalayan uh, uh, monastery is not where you find you. You don't find you by looking for you. You find you by looking for Him. It's in losing yourself that you find yourself.
That's why you want to find your destiny? Find the need and serve it. You'll be shocked that as you serve in the house of God, you will find what God made you to do. Too many people are looking for them, not finding anybody. But you say, God, I choose to be like a tree and produce fruit for others. Make me, Job said, make me eyes to the blind and make me feet to the lame. When you have an attitude that you're living your life not for you but for somebody else. God, my life is borrowed time for you. You you turn into a tree and not like chaff. You want to dishonor the things of God? here's Here's your future, your chaff. Chaff is dead. Chaff is rootless. Chaff is blown about by every idea of culture. That's why social media will pressure you into posts. Social media will tell you what you have to say and what not say. It'll gaslight you. You'll be living by every wind of opinion in the land. That's chaff. It's rootless, blown about, destined for the fire. Chaff has no value. When grain is winnowed, when the wind blows, the chaff away and what chaff remains is thrown into the fire. That's why Jesus, no wonder, he uses the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, Gehenna, to be a picture of hell because that's where the cheap chaff waste ends up. I don't want to end up in the garbage can. I want to be like a tree planted by the waters. I want to value what God's values. I would rather offend human beings now telling them the truth than make people feel good in the moment and they wake up shocked in eternity. You hear me today? Don't get angry at people that tell you the truth. They love you. You know who hates you? Those that lie to you to make you feel good. And if you would prefer a lie that makes you feel good over the truth that offends you, you hate yourself. God is looking for those that say, look, the truth often cuts me before it cures me. I'm often offended before I'm cured. And Holy Spirit, I give you permission to disrupt my rhythms. Change my mind. I don't want to be in Babylon and of Babylon. I want to be like Daniel and be light. I want to be salt. I want to have joy. In a world that's depressed, I want to have joy. In a world that's full of fear, I want to have peace. In a world that has darkness, I want to have light. God doesn't need the world to catch revival to change, to change the world. He needs the church to catch revival. Remind you, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't destroyed because of how bad it was. It was destroyed because of the lack of the righteous. God told Abraham, if there's just 10, God would have saved a wicked city if there was just enough people in the church. So we could say it this way, it wasn't the sin that destroyed it. It was the lack of the church. And I believe that today is no different. You know, in California this year, they called it a super bloom year. We got over 720 inches of snow at Mammoth Mountain. It was the most snow in the history of America at Mammoth Mountain. We got more rain than we've ever gotten. You know what I love is all the experts, which I love experts. Our church is full of experts. You got to be an expert to live in Orange County. Come on. I love the experts. But all the experts said that it'll take 20 years to get California out of drought. It'll take 20 plus years of crazy rain to fill up our our aqueduct, to fill up our reservoirs, to fill up our dams. And God's like, really? And we, he turned Southern California into Seattle. It rained and it rained and it rained. You look at this, they say that, I heard, I heard this is so cool. Now I gotta wrap this up. 
I heard a meteorologist say, do you know that it's raining plenty in California? The problem in our, our state, they said if we could capture the rain, there would never be droughts in California. The problem is we haven't built an aqueduct in California in over 45 years. We don't have enough aqueducts to capture the rain that falls. They're working on a mega aqueduct right now in Sacramento. That one aqueduct can actually service over 5 million people, over 100,000 farms. But the problem is, and God spoke to me, he said the rain's falling, but most of it's just going right back into the ocean because we can't capture it. And God, God began to speak to me that the local church is the reservoir of the city. And we are the people that capture the rain of God. And if God rains in this place, what God fills up here can actually satisfy a region. It can actually hydrate a city. It can water a farm. If you believe it, come on, give a good hand clap today. I'm not lying to you. We don't need the world to become righteous. We need the church to catch fire. And I'll tell you that when God's people get serious, we see a city revived. We see a city saved. God didn't say, if the world calls on my name. He says, if my people who are called by my name, if they'll cry out to me. He doesn't need the lost world to cry out. He needs the church to cry out. And I live and I breathe and I move and I have my being to see God ignite a land. Too many people are waiting for heaven to give their whole heart to God. Today's the day. Today's the day. I'm done walking to ungodly counsel. I'm, I'm done walking in lukewarm paths. I'm done sitting with my unhealthy Christian friends. As for me, as for my house, I'm gonna meditate on this book day and night. I'm gonna be like Moses and elevated in times of crisis. I'm gonna be like Joseph, elevated in times of crisis. I'm gonna be like Esther, elevated in times of crisis. Are you hearing me today? God doesn't need good conditions to elevate you. It was Goliath that made David who he was. And we want victories without battles. We want miracles without messes. We want answered prayers without bad days. God says, no, you're more than an overcomer. But you have a victim mentality because you're walking, standing, and sitting in the ideologies of Babylon. And here's where joy comes from. Joy comes by planting yourself by the rivers. God is the river that doesn't run dry. He told the woman at the well, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. I believe this morning, God wants to separate the wheat from the tares. God will separate the sheep from the goats, the trees from the chaff. Today's the day if we'll let him. I do believe that God will elevate us, that God will lead us, God will guide us. God develops destiny in crisis. We live in a nation that's in crisis. But be of good cheer, for our God has overcome the world. In this world, there'll be problems, but Jesus said, that's all right. I've overcome those problems. we got to realize that God does his greatest work in times of turbulence. Historically, there's never been a revival in a time of prosperity. It's always come out of a dark, divided window in history. Every great move of God takes flight, like an airplane, against the winds of opposition. It says the more that Pharaoh persecuted Israel, the more they multiplied. The crazier it got, the more great the glory got. And I'm just telling you today that if we're going to have miracles, there's going to be messes. If we're going to have victories, there's going to be battles. If we're going to have breakthroughs, there's going to be bad days. And if we want power, we got to get back to prayer.
This is where God develops us. 